We are in a series, Why I'm Not. This is a series where I'm presenting why I'm not various things. We've talked about why I'm not an atheist, that I don't think that's an intellectually provable option. Uh, I, I, I just don't. You go back and watch it if you're interested. I had Melvin Tinker teach for me why he's not a Buddhist. I agree with Melvin, and it's one of the reasons I'm not a Buddhist as well, or multiple reasons that he gave. We've been focusing for the last four Sundays, and we've still got one or two more. This is the most serious issue of all of these, in my opinion, and that is why I'm not an agnostic. Now, an agnostic means that um, you, you, you're not ready to say there's not a God, but you don't think that the proof is adequate to establish that there is a God. And so when you weigh the evidence between is there a God or is there not a God, an agnostic says, I can't determine. The evidence doesn't lean one way or the other, at least not in a fashion that persuades or convinces me. And so that's what we're here about. Now, while we talk about these things, we're talking about words. And what is very important for all of us to realize is that words matter. Words matter because they express ideas. We've got thoughts and ideas in our heads. We put them into words. The Greek word for word, logos in Lubbock pronunciation, logos if you probably pronounce it right, if, if that Greek word for word also means logic and thinking and rationality because we think in words. Words are important. They express ideas. Now, this was very apparent to me in a case that I was trying one time. Uh, Bob and I had this case. It was here in Houston. It's the one that had the benzene evidence. I had one of the oil and gas people in our class come up to me afterwards and say, now, don't take oil and gas people to task on this. And I had to assure him, I represented an oil and gas fella against oil. No, I didn't, actually. That was a different trial. Sorry. But... I had oil and gas experts helping me. I'm not trashing the oil and gas industry. My grandfather lived in it and made his living in it, and I probably wouldn't have been through college without it. But I will tell you this. I got a box. And I took my box to trial. Because the the, the case had been one where this casing, underground casing, piping, if you will, that went down to the reservoir of the oil and gas. That reservoir was tight enough to cause pressure for that casing. So the product didn't have to be pumped. Product was coming up automatically. It was under pressure. The pipe or the casing about 500 feet below the ground actually broke in half. Severed in two places, I should say, to be more precise. It severed into two pieces. And there was a six-inch separation between the top piece of piping and the bottom piece of piping, and all of that product under pressure was gushing out of that six-inch gap. Took the company days to fix it, and a lot of product went out into the surrounding water sands, the aquifer. Now, I talked to you earlier about the benzene illustration that was used in the case, but Here's another one for you on why words matter. The expert for that now defunct oil and gas company, so don't go selling your stock. Oh, my goodness, Lanier put us out of business. No, no, no. That was, this happened in the 1940s. 
that now defunct oil and gas company, um, they had an expert witness who was trying to minimize the, the, the extent of the problem. And so he got up on the stand and he testified all day long for the, the company and he said, you know, when the pipelines or when the piping or the casing sprung a leak, when the casing sprung a leak, when the casing sprung a leak. I counted like 27 or 28 times he said sprung a leak, sprung a leak. I'm sitting there each time it's just my, 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 uh, my frustration meter gets a little bit higher with each sprung a leak, sprung a leak, sprung a leak. So I'm sitting there thinking, it didn't spring a leak. The thing separated six inches and gushed forth. So I thought, how am I going to just illustrate to the jury that this fellow's playing games with words to minimize what really happened? So that night, before I started my cross-examination the next day, we're back at the office, and I send Juan and Jesse to the, to the local Walmart to buy me balloons that you can tie into little animals. And I played in front of the sink for a good 30 minutes before I finally realized, this is, by the way, very precarious. I've already had one pop this morning. Before I realized, I could fill it up and make a water balloon. And so the next morning, the judge called uh, me and he said, Mr. Lanier, would you like to start your cross-examination? I said, yes, I would. And before I opened up my box, I said to the expert, I said, sir, yesterday I counted 27 or 28 times. You talked about the casing springing a leak. He says, that's what happened. I said, no, let's not parse words. It didn't spring a leak. It had a blowout. He said, tomato, tomato. I said, no, leak, blowout. They're different words, not different pronunciations. He said, well, one man's leaks, another man's blowout. I said, no, I won't go there with you. I said, let me make a suggestion. And I reached, I said, did you ever play with water balloons when you were a kid? And he said, yes. I reached in to my box and I got a water balloon. I said, this is a water balloon. It's even shaped like the casing. And it's under pressure, isn't it? He said, yes. I said, Your Honor, may I use the court's trash can? The judge said, something tells me you better. <laughs> now, I don't know if our cameras are going to be able to pick this up. And I don't know if you on the front row want to move back. But I said, I've got a little pin here. I got this piping under pressure. And I want to do something. I want to poke it. Let's see if I get this just right. I want to poke it right here. Oh, look at that. I sprung a leak. You got it? Where's the camera? Look. I sprung a leak. I said, would you agree with me? I sprung a leak. He said, yes. And I stood there for a minute. I wanted to show springing a leak works. And it takes a while. I said, sir. And I reached in my box. And I grabbed the casing separators. I said, there is a difference between springing a leak and this casing being separated. Isn't there? And he's, uh, as I said, excuse me. 
I said, there's a difference, isn't there? Now, you may be thinking. <laughs> we tried this case. Um, we, tried, we tried this case about, I don't know, a year or two after the OJ trial where OJ got acquitted because the glove didn't have fitted. Uh, <laughs> the glove don't quit, fit, you must have quit. And I thought, never experiment in the courtroom when you hadn't done it at home. So I did it like three or four times the night before. That happens every time it explodes on you. But the jury sure never forgot it. There is a difference. Words do make a difference. So what we're talking about in here are words, but they're words that express ideas. And so we've got to do that. And what I've suggested to you is if you want to know whether or not there's a God or whether or not we have to say we just don't know, we ought to examine the evidence. And we're not going to find scientific evidence for God because God, at least as I understand him in the biblical God, the Judeo-Christian God, God doesn't exist as part of nature. He's not the thunderstorm of Baal. He's not the ocean of Poseidon. He's not the thunder god Thor, though I am a fan of the Thor comic series. He's a God outside of science and nature who made science and nature. So you're no more going to prove God is real by science than you are going to prove what the temperature is in this room by a yardstick. It's the wrong measure of, of uh, proof. So what we have to do is look at other areas of evidence and let's just weigh them. And so what I did is I said, what are the perceptions of reality that matter to me? And I looked at ones that are especially used by those who argue that God exists and for those who argue that there is no God. And so I put them up there. The ones for people who argue that God exists include why is there objective right and wrong? Why is there beauty? Why are justice and fair important? Why is there a basis for dignity and honor? Why do we value humanity uniquely, etc.? Why is there meaning and significance? Why do my actions fail? The negative questions. Why is there suffering? Why can't we see God? Why do many of our prayers seem to be unanswered? How does God mesh with science, making sense of the cosmos? And so these are the questions that I think we need to look at and put into the scales to determine, is there sufficient evidence that we should believe in God? And so that's what we've started doing. If you want to go back in the series, you can see the class on why is there objective right and wrong. You'll see that when I examine the beauty argument, I don't find it persuasive. There are some marvelous Christians who do, but I got to be candid with you. It does not persuade me there's a God. I think it's neutral. I don't think it's determinative on either side. Why is justice and fair important? Well, we dealt with that last week. And you just got to go look at it. But the bottom line is there are two pieces of evidence so far that I think belong in the scales. Beauty is a neutral. I could put beauty on either side of those scales. So I just don't put it on at all. It, it cancels itself out. But the importance of justice and fairness and an objective right and wrong, as I've taught in the last few weeks, persuade me that's evidence of my real world. 
that weighs in favor of God. And we continue to work with the scales. So today, I want us to try and cover four, five, and six. Why is there a basis for dignity and honor? Why do we uniquely value humanity? And why is there meaning and significance in life? Let's go through those together. We'll start with, why is there a basis for dignity and honor? Drew, where are you? Would you stand up, please? Drew is on leave. Drew is in our military. Drew is the Voorhees boy. Thank you for your service to the country. Drew did not know I was going to call on him today, but he serves in the military. He's been through a whole lot worse than this. Which theater have you been in? Where have you been? Middle East. He's seen it. Take a seat. Thank you, Drew. I can think of no better example of the fact that there is dignity and honor than what we see displayed so often by people who are willing to give their lives in defense of what they believe. That's something you spontaneously broke out in applause for him for because inherent in your being, in other words, built into you, is a respect and an appreciation for the honor that is due someone like that. First responders. If you've been a first responder at some point in your life or are now, would you stand up? These people. Tim, stand up. Okay? We, thank you. We rightfully applaud these people because they put service to others as a priority in their life. Laying their life on the line at times to do so. So honor and dignity means something to most people. But there's no basis for honor and dignity if there's no God. It's an illusion. It's a mind trick. Let me tell you, the best, best, uh, uh, the clearest explanation of this came from B.F. Skinner. A Harvard psychologist in the 20th century ranked number one most influential psychologist. That put him ahead of Sigmund Freud, who was only number three. He wrote a book entitled Beyond Freedom and Dignity, which became a New York Times bestseller. Over a million copies sold. Here's the cover that says, the million copy bestseller. Beyond Freedom and Dignity. Now, here's what this gentleman said. He said, all we are, are sacks of chemicals. We, our chemistry was determined by our DNA and by the environment in which we live. So you got DNA. Your mom may be drinking alcohol while you are in her utero. That can affect how you develop. Fetal alcohol syndrome comes from that. Your mom might be... Uh, uh, drinking caffeine that crosses the placental barrier and it makes you a little bit more hopping that afternoon in her belly. So it's what we are is our DNA that's made our chemical sac plus influences from others, outside things. But everything ultimately is just a chemical reaction. That's all this world is if there's no God. We're just residual stardust that has chemical reactions. It's just, if there's no God, we happen to accumulate into a fairly complex sack of chemicals. But all of our reactions, and here, 
and in here are just dictated by the laws of chemistry. We just may not be able to know enough to precisely explain the chain. So these were his conclusions. If there's no God, which he believed there was not, he didn't debate the issue. It's just there is no God for him. We are sacks of chemicals. Sorry, that didn't quite read so clean. And there are no choices, and therefore there is no dignity. He said we need to move beyond these words like dignity. There's no dignity in what our military does. Drew doesn't do that because Drew has chosen to do that. Drew has no choice. He's just chemically made as a sack of chemicals and the environment's reacted off of him in such a way that his sack of chemicals have chemically reacted to go serve in the military. We can call it an honorable thing. We can call it something worthy of respect. But those are fake words that we're using that have no real meaning. Now, if there's no God, I understand that. Let me put it into a little bit more of an illustration for you. Do I have any young volunteers that may come up here and help me? Maybe Mia, maybe Chloe? Would you maybe come up and help me? I think at least Mia's coming. And Chloe, you're going to take some pictures, okay? So you can help from there. All right. We've got some work to do. Come on, Mia. Mr. Mark won't bite you. Okay, Mia, this is a jar. Do you recognize this? Okay. This is vinegar. Let me get my little screen here. We're going to make it up there. See, we've got the vinegar here, and we've got it up there. This has in it water and acetic acid. You'll learn about this in chemistry and then forget it all the very next day after the test. So we're going to take the vinegar, and we're going to pour it in this jar. Okay? Now, when you take vinegar and you add NaHCO3, also known as baking soda, something interesting happens. So would you do me a favor and just pour some of this in the jar for me? You would? You are such a sweet helper. Come here, you do it. I'll do it with you. Come on, Mia. Now, this is called chemistry. Come on, watch, watch what happens to the jar. Oh, oh, whoa. Whoa! Thank you, Mia. Can y'all thank Mia for helping us? Now, that vinegar and that baking soda didn't say, hmm, let me think about whether or not I want to form gas and uh, bubble and foam in class. Hmm. Sure would be fun not to, just kind of prank the class. No decision at all. Straight chemistry. There's an ion transfer that happens, boom, you get gas. And the gas is released and it foams when it's released. Happens every time under at least these, I haven't tried it like sub-zero and things like that, but in these atmospheric conditions, it's going to happen. That's just chemistry. If all we are are sacks of chemicals, and there is no more to it than that, God's not made anything in us, we're not unique, 
We're not special or significant in some eternal sense. All we are, if all we are, is sacks of chemicals, then anything that happens in our life is really just a chemistry reaction. And this idea that we make choices is an illusion. And we delude ourselves if we believe that to be the case. Now, that's the option there. What about the other side of the option? There is an MIT scientist, uh, linguistic guru named Noam Chomsky. He's still alive. Skinner's now dead. Noam Chomsky wrote the review for the New York Review on the book Beyond Freedom and Dignity. And Chomsky had been going after Skinner for some time. And here's what Chomsky said in his review. Since his William James lectures of 1947, Skinner has been sparring with these and related problems. The results are nil. No scientific hypothesis with supporting evidence have been produced to substantiate these extravagant claims to which he is addicted. At the moment, we have virtually no scientific evidence and not even the germs of an interesting hypothesis about human behavior is determined, about how human behavior is determined. There's no science to back up what Skinner says. It's all built off of his presuppositions, what he's already presupposing because he can't prove it. Namely, that there is no God, that we are sacks of chemicals, and we are determined in our behavior simply by our DNA and the environment's influence upon it. And, 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 and there's no scientific evidence for that. It's a logical conclusion to there being no God. It's just not a, it's, there's just no proof of it. It's just an idea. So it's interesting to me that, um, by the way, I don't know that you can see it from where you are, but I've, I've, uh, um, right now I'm, I've, I've got a book that we're working on the cover for. And, and anytime you write a book, uh, the, at least in my experience, the, the publishing company runs the covers by you. Say, yes, I like that cover. No, I don't like that cover. Make this change. Don't make that change. So I'm just assuming, I don't know, but I'm just assuming, that's a reasonable assumption, that B.F. Skinner approved this cover. Which has in the small print up here, if you plan to read only one book this year, this is probably the one you should choose. Here's a book that says you have no choice in what you do, and if I think, you ought to choose to read it. Now, in reply to Chomsky and others, what B.F. Skinner said is, well, maybe we don't have any scientific proof for my theories yet, but my theories are correct. It's just a matter of time till science catches up with us. Which I found interesting because our local rice researcher, scientist lady, Dr. Janet Seifert, stand up, Dr. Janet Seifert, make sure everybody knows you, who works hard with a full team on our internet, 
read the lesson and sent me an email uh, with Princeton's theoretical physicist Edward Witten, who said the following, and this is very, very, very recent, not 40 years ago. I think consciousness will remain a mystery. I tend to think that the workings of the conscious brain will be elucidated to a larger extent. Biologists, perhaps physicists, will understand much better how the brain works. But why something we call consciousness goes with these workings, I think that will remain mysterious. I have a much easier time imagining how we understand the Big Bang than I have imagining how we can understand consciousness. If you can't understand consciousness, you can't be in a position to tell me that we're just chemical reactions and sacks of chemicals. You've got no scientific explanation for why we believe in such things as dignity, why we believe in such things as honor. And if you want to throw them all away, you can throw them all away. But I'm not ready to do that. So I don't buy the evidence on this issue being one that's consistent with the life I perceive I live and others live. However, the other side of the scale, let's see if it works. The Judeo-Christian concept of God. The God is portrayed in the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament, and in the Christian scriptures, which are the Old Testament and the New Testament. What do we see? We see that God made a cause and effect world. Our God is a God of cause and effect, and he made a world of cause and effect. If you stick your finger in the fire, you're going to get burned. If you pour baking soda in vinegar, you're going to get foam. We live in a world that's cause and effect. God said to Adam and Eve, if you eat the tree, you're going to die. So we live in a world of cause and effect. If you sin, these are the results. Paul says in Romans 1, 17 through 20, that we perceive in nature the power and nature of our God, his invisible attributes, cause and effect. We don't live in Harry Potter world. The Bible doesn't teach Harry Potter world. When there's a miracle in the Bible, it's ascribed as a miracle from a God who's outside of nature, reaching in and tampering with nature. Because nature's set up where each of the offspring will produce after their own kind. It is cause and effect. The Judeo-Christian concept is also that humans, like God who created the world by choice, humans made in his image can make real choices. We can make decisions. We can decide, do we eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or don't we? We can decide, do we get the pastrami on rye or the dry chicken? We can decide, do we want the pizza or the enchiladas or the liver and onions? Liver and onions, by the way, not a big fast food staple. Not many people making that choice. But it's a choice. And the Bible says that we make real choices. Because we're made in the image of God. And while there's a cause and effect world, humanity in the image of God, God was the original cause. I'm not here to fuss the Big Bang with anybody. 
I wasn't there. I don't know if God made the world with that being the history inherent in how it could have been. Just like when he made Adam, you could look at Adam and talk about what he may have been like as a baby, even though he never was. Maybe he made the universe. and We can talk about what it would have been like as a baby, maybe even though it never was. Or maybe he made it that way and worked through it. That's a fuss for another day. I'm not fussing that. I'm not engaging in that either way right now. But what I am telling you is, regardless of where you land on that spectrum, God is still the cause. I mean, you got to have something to big bang. So you, you, you've got a cause that's outside of this universe, even as we look at the universe and see it to be cause and effect. In the same way, if that's the Judeo-Christian God, he says he made us in his image so we can do causes ourselves that have effects. You can choose to drive intoxicated and run over someone and kill them. Don't blame God. Don't say you were predetermined to do it. Don't don't say, well, don't send me to jail. It's just my chemistry and DNA. I didn't make that choice. No. Judge John Clinton's sending you to jail. Because you make choices in this life. And we can be the cause that has effects for good or for evil. And that's what God calls us to do. That's the Judeo-Christian view. And as a result, there is dignity and honor. When you make choices like Drew and countless others of you who've made choices to... you know, Think about the soldier that fell on a grenade to save the ones around him. He's worthy or she's worthy of dignity and honor. It's not, well, why are you making a big deal out of it? That was just chemistry. No. We make choices that have a ramification. That's the Judeo-Christian God. So when I put this in the scales, why is there a basis... For good and honor. Is it Judeo-Christian God or no God? We're just complex sacks of chemicals. It's just what happens when baking soda goes into vinegar. I believe in real choices. I can't buy that I'm living in Illusionville. It defies common sense to me that a man who's even so sold on it that he's making millions of dollars off his books But he puts on the cover, if you're going to choose to buy one book, choose to buy mine. So, evidence. Why is there a basis for dignity and honor? I put it on the side of the scales. Evidence for God, it's the only thing that makes sense, continues to tilt the scales that way for me. Next, why do we uniquely value humanity? Now, Some don't, I guess. But I've never really met... How many of you know an atheist or an agnostic? Or you may even be one. How many of you know any cannibals? I'm not seeing any hands raised. Not one. I know my brother-in-law sometimes doubts what my sister cooks. But... I have two brother-in-laws, two sisters. I'm not saying which one because I don't want to get in trouble. But we got some options here. One option is there's no God. We're just a complex sack of chemicals. The other option is, oh, by the way, Jeffrey Dahmer 
mass murderer, ate his victims. He was a cannibal. The fictionalized cannibal, Hannibal Lecter, Silence of the Lambs. I was debating an atheist on BBC, uh, uh, on a BBC station or an English station over in England. And um, I don't understand their radio, so I'm not sure it was BBC or what it was. But I was debating an atheist, and I was telling him, you know, you give a unique value to humanity, and I can't figure out why you do that. And he says, well, I don't really give a unique value to humanity. I said, oh, so you're a cannibal. He said, well, no. I said, well, why don't you eat grandma? He says, well, I'm not going to eat my grandma. She's got higher consciousness, and so I don't eat animals with higher consciousness. I said, oh. I said, so if grandma is a vegetable, and she's being sustained by life support, and she has no brain activity and no higher consciousness, then you tell the doctors, Take her off life support so we can have a barbecue. He said, that's absurd. I said, not with your worldview. With your worldview, it's absurd that you're going to waste all that protein and all those vitamins and minerals. He said, well, I think there's a medical problem with humans eating humans. I said, okay, feed her to the pigs. Then you can have the pork chops. He said, I'm not going to do that. I said, no, of course you're not going to do that. Because hardwired into you is a value that you put uniquely on humanity. The animal world ain't that way. Lots of animals eat animals. Jane Goodall did all of her chimp work. And if you go back and that chimp work's continued even after Jane Goodall. But one of the fellows, I think he's at Stanford, recently wrote a paper on it. The chimpanzees, while they by and large are vegetarians, they also hunt for food. And they did a study on this. 80% of the food they hunted, monkeys. Chimpanzees are supposed to be the closest thing to a human. They eat monkeys. They're cousins. You know, what, what is it about us? Where did we get to the point? I mean, how many of us, okay, I know that you're a vegetarian. And I assume there are other vegetarians in here. Our son is like a vegetarian on steroids. So he doesn't get it from meat. Um, he's like a vegan, you know, not even like the byproducts. So there are some, but I got a question. It seems to me anybody who doesn't believe in God You got a choice. You ought to either be eating humans or you shouldn't be eating any meat at all. Why are you going to let grandma go to waste once she's no longer conscious? We're all going to die. Why are we burying them? Why are we cremating them? Why do you spend $25,000 on a stinking funeral when you ought to be able to sell it for meat and make some money off the dead? Now that's callous, and that's offensive to even hear me say. But it's the absurd, logical conclusion of people who don't believe there's a God, and we're just a sack of chemicals. Put the chemicals to work, baby. Don't burn them up and cause global warming.
The Judeo-Christian God offers an explanation for why we uniquely value humans. The Jewish and Christian book of Genesis says that God made humanity uniquely in His image. That there's a unique value in humans that others don't have. Cain killed Abel, and that was bad because he, 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 he killed someone made in the image of God. God's explanation for why murder is wrong is you don't kill someone made in the image of God. They have value. There's something distinct and uniquely valuable about a human being. We have an inherent value apart from what the rest of the animal world has. I'm not saying we treat them with disgust. I'm not saying that that we shouldn't be sensitive to how animals are treated. But I am saying... Dr. Paige Patterson is a hunter. But he's a very responsible hunter. And he will hunt animals that are responsibly needing to be hunted. And he doesn't doesn't do it in a way that terrorizes them. He does it in a way that that, uh, uh, actually helps the ecosystem. But you don't see him out there hunting people. He doesn't sit around and say, you know... This world would be a better place without those five people over there. He's, he, there is a distinct value. And those people who don't inherently value human life, we, the rest of the world, recognize as deranged. But if there's no God, we're the deranged ones. And they're the normal. They're the ones... Now, now what's the explanation for this? You know, to me... I look at this. Why do we uniquely value humanity? It makes sense to me with the Judeo-Christian God. It does not make sense to me with no God. It's just something that's fake and trumped up within us that we're just evidently too stupid to realize is there. So I put it in the scales and I add it and it's again tilts the scales in favor of the evidence of God. So let's uh, finish up for today. Positive perceptions. Why is there meaning and significance in life? Number six. Why is there? What's the evidence on this? Now, on the no-God side, we could argue that there's, we're just the complex sacks of chemicals, and there really is no meaning, and there really is no significance. The God side is going to say that there is. Well, I got news for you. I've yet to find a thoughtful atheist that doesn't recognize some meaning and some significance in life. Oh, I'm sure there are some nihilists out there and I just don't read them. But even someone like Richard Dawkins, you can't read his writings without sensing his pride, um, his sense of accomplishment, his joyful happiness at how he has arrived and figured things out? Well, if they were just sacks of chemicals, he hadn't done anything other than what his sack of chemicals would do when influenced by the environment in which they were. There's no meaning and there's no significance. Now, maybe he would argue, oh, but we've got a significance gene within us. Somewhere in our genome, 
in the in the DNA and 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 the structures, you know, the proteins have aligned in such a way where at some place we've got one or more genes that make us think things are significant, even though they in reality, from a cosmic view, are not. Well, no one's found the significance gene. And I wouldn't even call it a significance gene. I'd call it a fake gene. Because what it's really saying is, there's something in our genetic structure that fakes us into thinking we're significant. Into thinking there's meaning. Into thinking we've accomplished something. Look, i got to tell you, these two little girls down here who graciously agreed to come to be my stunt doubles today, these two little girls down here, like almost every little child, knows from the beginning, hey, mom, hey, dad, look at this. Look at me. Look at what I did. We're always questioning. We're always wondering, you know, why is there more to life? Where is the meaning to life? The Christian, Judeo-Christian God answers that question. And the experience of it fits like a hand in a glove. I beat Paul Tomberland yesterday at racquetball, and that happens so rarely I have to put it out in the media, and this is the only chance I got. I wore this glove. I got to tell you, it fit, man. It fits so good. He doesn't realize it yet, but the glove he had, I put itching powder on the inside, and it really messed up his game. But fits like a hand in a glove. My experience confirms for me that meaning and significance is real. I really do ask questions. I want to know things. I want to know why things are the way they are. I seek love. I seek companionship. I seek affirmation. I seek answers to questions. What the world means and what is significance is a very real thing to me. And here's what the Judeo-Christian God says. As Augustine said to God, you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. The Judeo-Christian view of God says God made us in his image to be in a relationship with him. That God himself is in relationship with himself. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But we're created in his image and so God puts Adam into this garden says, go find you a mate among the animals. I don't know if there were Neanderthals there or not. Who, by the way, evidence shows were cannibals. That's another point. But Adam looks at all of the animals, be they close kin or not. And Adam says, not one of these is suitable for me as a mate. Because you can take the most human-looking person in the world, you can take a Neanderthal, if they're not made in the image of God and created as spiritual beings, they're not suitable for a spiritual person. And that lesson is still true today, I might add, but, but in a, in a, it's another class for another day. But, but let me just say that God made us to be in a relationship with Him. Sin has separated us from Him. And so the Judeo-Christian view says all of us should be walking around with this sense that there's more to life. That we're meant for more than this. That there's got to be something more. More than just living and dying. More than just getting up and eating and going to work or going to school. Or taking care of the house or taking care of the yard. There's got to be more to life. Augustine says, yes, God made us for him. 
and our hearts restless until we find our rest in Him. I hate uh, long quotes, but I've got one coming. First Acts. Paul told the, the people in Athens, they weren't Jews, they were pagans. Paul told the pagans, the God who made the world and everything in it, made from one man, every nation of mankind, that they should seek God. And perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Paul's talking about the, the idol to an unknown God that the Athenians had. And he said, you know, there's something within us that's looking for the answer. We're trying to find the meaning and significance in this life. And that's evidence, Paul says, of God. He's got that restless heart in you until you find your rest in him. Here's the long quote. Got to put it up there, though. It's too good. Blaise Pascal. You might know Pascal's wager. Um, guy was like a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant guy. Also a Christian apologist who wrote the Pinsies or the thoughts about the Christian faith. He says, what is it then that this desire and this inability to proclaim to us, but that there was once in man, once there was a true happiness of which there now remained to him only the mark Only the empty trace. We fell from God. And we in vain try to fill it up from our surroundings. Oh, we seek from things absent help that we're not going to find in things that we we have at hand. But they're all inadequate. Nothing's going to fill up the hole except God. And so you can try all sorts of things. You can try um, uh, the stars, the heavens, the earth, the elements, plants, cabbages, leeks, animals, insects, calves, serpents, fever, pestilence, war, famine, vices, adultery, incest. You try everything you want. Nothing's going to satisfy you. And the reason I say this fits like a hand in glove for me is because I've known the restlessness, but I've also found the peace. And people who don't believe in, in the, the, the restored relationship that we have with God through Jesus, people who don't believe that don't understand the peace. And so it may not make sense to them, but it certainly does to me. What ought to make sense at least to them is, why do they have this yearning for meaning and significance in life? It's because there is meaning and significance in life. And I put that in the scales. And again, it tilts the scales more evidence for God. We've got more to cover next week. Meanwhile, here are your points for home. Jesus said, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. John eight thirty three. You know what that tells me? It tells me that we are to search for truth. Truth is important. I want truth. I don't want to believe just because, hey, you know, it's a nice thing to do on Sunday morning. The donuts are free. I want to believe the truth. Genesis 9, 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed because God made man in his own image. That's the value of people. And I want to show that value of people by how I treat them, regardless of what they believe, regardless of which political party they attend, regardless of what their education is, their economics are, their skin color, their hair color, heavens, the color of their teeth should not matter the way we show our respect and treatment. And last, God has made everything beautiful in its time, and he's put eternity into man's heart. 
Ecclesiastes 3.11. We've got eternity in our heart. It's there. We can sense it. With God, life has purpose and meaning. That's what I want to walk in. So we'll continue next week on why I'm not an atheist. I'm an agnostic. And I thank you very much for being here. Can I bless you in the name of God? Father, in your name, we do bless everyone here. I bless everyone in your name, Father. And I ask you to reach down and touch them, to stir up their hearts. Take that which is hard and make it soft. Take that which is clogged up in their ears and, and clean it out. Take that which their eyes don't see and drop the scales. Father, help people to see the evidence for you that's all around us and within us. I pray this blessing in the name of Jesus. Amen.